Unprecedented conversation, bridging the gap between two faiths, spanning over 9,000 miles and over 2,000 years. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. Thank you for your listenership and for joining us for this particular broadcast and podcast. One of the unique things about uh, the teacher and the preacher is that the current teacher is um, currently serving in the military in his, in his home there in Israel. And if you're new to the teacher and the preacher, then we should tell you that uh, it's made up of an Orthodox Jew who lives full-time in Israel and a Christian pastor who lives here in the States. Due to the current environment in Israel, uh, the need for people to serve is great. And this is why we've asked so many people to not only pray and support Israel and make some noise on Israel's behalf, but to also step up and help give some support beyond prayer. And you can do that by just simply going to theteacherandthepreacher.com and you can click on the donate button. And right now, 100% of anything that's given goes directly to Israel. So I want to encourage you to do that, theteacherandthepreacher.com. Click on the donate button. It's painless. And you'll be a blessing to Israel, and you'll put a big toothy grin on God's face because of your heart for Israel and the Jewish people. But one of the blessings that we have for this particular program is um, we get a chance to have our friend and uh, former teacher on the teacher and the preacher, Harold Berman, with us, which I'm really super grateful for because uh, we... We enjoyed a, a number of great years together, and so Harold, thank you so much for your willingness to jump in the seat and and uh, help us out with this particular broadcast and podcast. We are we're so grateful, and I welcome you to the program. Thank you. It's great to be back. So one of the things that you're fully aware of is that Israel can't get enough accurate information out to the world because of all the world media that it, it's up against and the various spins and twists and actual lies that are being told about Israel. And people don't even know what to believe about the numbers that are coming out of Gaza in terms of casualties and what that really means and the accuracy of a lot of different things. But one of the things that I thought would maybe be great for our listeners is to just kind of walk through a variety of uh, questions that may just be very informative uh, for once again having boots on the ground there in you living there full time. So maybe you could just kind of... You mean you don't trust CNN? Well, I used to. I used to years ago. That, you know, back when <laughs> Ted Turner was uh, still involved, you know. How many years ago is that? And how could that be possible when I'm only 25? <laughs> 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 well, one of the things that uh, you could do that I think would get us off to a good start is talk a little bit about the current environment right now. How 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 are the people feeling, and what are they what are they most carrying with them right now? So, wow, there's so much to unpack there. I, I think the main thing for for Americans, the closest the way Israel is right now that would come in America is after 9/11. Uh, except I would say, because I, I was in America during 9-11, so I, I remember it. And this is that feeling, but so much, just more so. Um, there's this feeling of unity 
uh, Israel actually was uh, very divided for several reasons be uh, before October 7th, and all that immediately fell away. Uh, religious divide, political divide, there's no right and left in Israel right now, or, or very little. Um, it's all about, you know, we have a job to do. Uh, I, I've seen, and I've seen a lot in media and various talking heads that don't know what they're talking about, you know, will say, oh, Israel can't show anger. And when they say that, they don't understand Israel because it's not about anger. It's not about revenge. Uh, Golda Meir, who was, um, she was prime minister back in, during the Yom Kippur War. And she once said something to the effect of, we, we, can, we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children but we can't forgive them for ha for making it so that we have to kill their children. And I think that's really the feeling right now. There's this, like, we have a job to do, and we just need to get it done. You know, there's no joy in doing it. There's just, it just has to be done. Uh, but the, I, I just can't even stress enough the sense of utter unity of purpose here. Yeah, the amount of people that are living there I'm sure that there's been an awakening in all of them to want to do something. You know, uh, yeah, I got to feed somebody. I got to make a casserole. I've got to go find a place where I can serve. I need to do something. So I'm, I'm sure that the mindset of the people there in Israel is, is look, we're going to support. We are going to stand together. We are going to face this thing together. What what kind of uh, resolve is there, and is that waning at all the, the longer that this goes? It's not really waiting. You know, in terms of volunteering, uh, I think I, the figures I saw, it's something over 50% of the country has volunteered in some way. And that's in addition to all the people doing reserve duty and fighting in Gaza. Over 50%, if you, if you can imagine that, are volunteering. Uh, I think, obviously, everybody would love for this to be over. But there's a real understanding, you know, like I said, we have a job to do, and there there isn't really that waning. Uh, it, it's interesting. It's it's not like oh well, never mind. For one thing, there's 136 or so hostages still sitting in Gaza, uh, yes. so that's very immediate. But I think you know there was this huge wake up call on October 7th because for so many years. Israel tried to contain the problem. They knew that Hamas was sworn to our destruction. They knew they were building tunnels. We would get the rockets, which any other country wouldn't have put up with at all, but we did. And after October 7th, I think there was just this universal feeling in the country of, you know, what was can no longer be, and whatever it takes, we have to change the reality. We can't live with this reality on our border anymore. You know, going back to 9-11, it would be like if 9-11 happened, but the Taliban was, let's say, sitting just over the border in Canada and still shooting rockets and and saying, and we're going to do this again. Um, you know, not, not like they're thousands of miles away. Yeah, you know, one of the things that as you remember, we, we, we used to try to keep our listeners informed about the neighborhood that Israel lives in. I mean, it's, it's a tough neighborhood. And so while this is going on in the south, we still have the enemy of Israel up in the north. And so it's, it's a lot for a small country to be up against both of these arenas. And so the need for uh, the people to be together, I mean, they, they get it. They understand this whole thing. 
But I, I so have appreciated Netanyahu's resolve to go, you know what? We're going to wipe out uh, all the fingerprints of Hamas. There will be no Hamas by the time that we're done. And even if they try to run away and hide in various places in the world, we will hunt you down and we will deal with you. So he, it goes beyond the border. But that determination that, listen, we're not going to live like, we're not going back to the way it was. It's going to be a whole new day. Right. And there are people who say, you know, you can't really destroy Hamas. You can't kill an idea. There will be new people who will spring up. And that's true to some extent. But, you know, when America went after ISIS, it's not that ISIS completely disappeared down to every last person. But America made it to the point where ISIS could no longer be a threat. And after World War II, it's not, you know, there are plenty of neo-Nazis around today. It's not that Nazism, unfortunately, is an idea. It's not that it disappeared, but they, the Third Reich could no longer function. And I think that's the goal here. We, we, we know that we can't destroy hatred, but we can make it so that Hamas just can't do this again. One of the things that Israel is fully aware of in, in this war that it's fighting is that they also are fighting a war with the world media. And I know that they they are so intentional to have specific uh, communicators for the IDF, for the prime minister's office, for various aspects of, uh, of Israel to try to keep people informed about, you hear it directly from us, you you. You're hearing it from the horse's mouth, if you will. And I think that's one of the things that Israel works really hard to do. Do you feel like that that is, is being well-received and, and, uh, and, and it's just a bunch of extra noise being made by the world? Or do you feel like that uh, it's falling on deaf ears? I think to some extent it's falling on deaf ears. There's two pieces here. One, you know, there's just the pro-Hamas Jew haters, etc., who it doesn't matter if all the media coverage was perfect, you know, I mean, you have these people who are saying, oh, there's no evidence that women were raped or sexually assaulted on October 7th. You know, we, we have the camera footage, but uh, so those people you're never going to reach. But I think then you have this whole other group of people, the people who are saying there needs to be a ceasefire. This, you know, there's there's tens of thousands of people in Gaza who have been killed. This is unacceptable. And what they don't know, obviously there are people in Gaza being killed, but what they don't know is that, well, those are actually figures provided by Hamas, which in every other conflict, and there have been about 15 of them with Hamas, in every other conflict they've lied and exaggerated figures. Um, right now, most of them are hiding in tunnels. They actually have no way to <laughs> come up with any real figures at all. But you have this constant media coverage, not only of the numbers, but uh, I've, I've seen all sorts of, uh, I'll just say, problematic coverage. And the people who unfortunately don't know, they might want to you know, know what's really going on, but they think they're really getting the news and they're not. Um, by the way... I usually not look that much at like American media, you know, sitting here in Israel. There are some uh, English uh, websites that actually cover the world and America pretty well here. And um, that's what I usually follow. But after October 7th, I started looking at the BBC and CNN because I just wanted to see, okay, how are they covering it differently than Israeli media? 
and uh, you know, just what is the world getting? And what I can say is I, I found that there's actually a medical benefit to CNN and BBC. If you find that your blood pressure is too low and you want to raise it, you, you just go to CNN and it, 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 it works in minutes, in minutes. <laughs> well, you, you haven't lost your sense of humor. I love that. I love that. So one of the things that is being communicated out of Israel is that uh, this could go on for a number of months, that this is uh, not going to be quick. It's going to be complete. It's going to be thorough. And there is a, a word coming out that the IDF has now uh, really felt like it's found where Sinwar is actually hiding and holding up, but he's, they say he's surrounded by hostages so that he's using them for insulation. Um, can, you, can you speak about uh, that at, at any more clarity or depth? I mean that—that's what the word is, and of course, it's—it's it's always hard to know. I mean, you know, when you talk about also Israel's uh, PR effort, you know, there's certain things in this war that I'm—I'm assuming, you know, they may even be deliberately giving false information or maybe keeping things back because they don't want to tip the enemy's hand. But that actually really does have a ring of truth to me because, first of all, I, they do—they've known for some time that Sinwar is in southern Gaza. Uh, which at this point, Israel pretty much has control of the north of Gaza, and they've made great inroads into the south. Um, he can't escape, so it, and he uses his own people as human shields, so it makes complete sense that he would use Israeli hostages as, as human shields as, as well. Yeah. My understanding is that the Egyptians are actually uh, very astute at watching the tunnels that that uh, Hamas has dug underneath the border there going into Egypt so that if, in fact, there is a effort to escape into Egypt, that they're actually, you know, watching for that. Right. There's also some word, and again, obviously I can't verify this, but there is some word that uh, there also are Israeli, some Israeli special forces and Israeli intelligence actually on the Egyptian side along with the Egyptians uh, watching for that as well. So what do you hear in terms of the future? This thing is, you know, put, put the, the, the fire is put out and now what's going to happen with Gaza? Who... Will, will that be something that is uh, annexed in? Is that going to be something that Israel lets the world decide what happens to that? Uh, are you hearing anything of what that future of Gaza looks like? Yeah, uh, there are. I mean, it's it's obviously not set in stone yet, and I imagine it's it's a moving target. It's going to change uh, as we go. But there there does seem to be at least some consensus building, from what I can tell. Uh, I just want to go back for some context that um, be, this is this is something that the news does not report on at all. They talk about we hear about you know end the occupation, Gaza's occupied, and it's important actually to understand what really went on here. So Israel was in Gaza. Israel uh, basically won Gaza from Egypt in uh, the Six Day War, nineteen sixty seven, along with the West Bank from Jordan. Uh, nobody called it occupied then. And, uh, you know, Egypt controlled it, and then Israel controlled it. And Israel built some settlements there. And in 2005, 
Israel uprooted every single settlement, took out every settler, every soldier, and uh, basically said, here are the keys uh, to the Palestinians, build a state. And there was literally billions of international investment ready to pour in. And uh, people were saying Gaza is going to become the Singapore of the Middle East. And then what happened was they, they had an election uh, and they voted and they voted Hamas in. Now, Hamas hasn't had an election since then. But what happened was 2007, Hamas took over. Before 2007, after Israel left, there were no restrictions. Uh, goods could go in freely. Literally, it was turn over the keys make a state. Yeah. They were set up for success. They were totally set up for success if they wanted it. Hamas, which anyone can go actually online now, they've been very kind to put it in English in their charter, uh, that you know what their charter is, that their mission is they are sworn to the destruction of the state of Israel. So they started firing the rockets and started using, basically bringing stuff in and using it. And that was when Israel started putting restrictions. Now, of course, they weren't the only ones because, as you said, there's a border with Egypt. They they have a they they have a checkpoint as well. They they actually are much more restrictive than Israel's been. But what Israel has let in for building materials uh, instead of building buildings, it's gone to build tunnels. You know, they've they've managed to smuggle in uh, material for rockets and so forth. So so that's what we're left with here. That we're in the aftermath of that. And then what they built from instead of a state, they built a terror infrastructure, and which you know culminated on October seventh. So. In, that's really important and okay what's going to be after Gaza because we can't just leave it in the Palestinians hands because we're going to get the same thing again uh, so the options on the table I mean Israel could just control it completely there's a lot of international pressure for them not to do that I don't think Israel wants to do that uh, if it you know it doesn't really want to be responsible for Gaza uh, the what's really developing as as far as I can see as far as the the best idea of not any of them are great is the idea that um, there will be some groups of Palestinians, not Hamas, but some groups of Palestinians that will start taking control of, of the civilian life of Gaza and Israel will be responsible for security. Um, whether that can happen realistically, I'm not sure. But the only other options on the table, which of course a lot of countries in the world are pushing is some sort of international force. Um, that's what happened in Lebanon uh, after the war with Hezbollah. And um, the that has failed miserably. The, the UN so-called peacekeeping force literally looks the other way whenever Hezbollah does anything. So Hezbollah now has uh, 150,000 rockets. That's 10 times more than Hamas. Um, so that's not going to work, having an international force. Um, the other possibility would be the Palestinian Authority, which controls the West Bank. Um, it's funny, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, keeps talking about a quote-unquote revitalized Palestinian Authority. By saying revitalized, he's admitting that in its current form, it can't work. This is the organization that pays terrorists and their families. This is the organization that teaches incitement in their schools. This is the organization that literally can't run their own affairs. So the idea of handing the keys over to them makes no sense. So um, I think the only viable option is either Israel controls it completely or find some Palestinians in Gaza who are amenable to trying to work with Israel, which is still an, you know, an open question. Long answer, but I mean, it's a complicated issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th this is 
this is an enigma now. I mean, it's trying to figure out what in the world uh, happens going forward. So I think anybody who's uh, who's lived there in Israel and um, any of us who've who've gotten familiar with Israel, there's there's some tremendous Palestinian people. You can't just throw them all in the same category. Uh, one of the things about the kibbutz there, just outside of um, this, the barrier wall at Gaza near Oz, is that community. It's the one that was hit the hardest, the most killed, the most kidnapped. That group, I was there to visit with them back in late March, this past March, early April. And they shared with us the story that uh, historically they had lived for years and farmed in Gaza and that they they were some of the people who basically got evicted, asked to leave, and uh, Israel was going to to assist them in getting relocated. So they said, we will relocate without any hassle at all if you will give us just outside the barrier wall because we love this area. We, we love people in Gaza. And... Um, we, we would like to stay as close as we can. Okay, okay, great. So it's very interesting because many of the Jews who were living there in Gaza had great Palestinian friends. They had Palestinian neighbors. And, and that was true. Through- Some of them were peace activists. Exactly. Some of the ones who were kidnapped exactly. were peace activists. So yeah. uh, this was true in, in many of the areas throughout Israel, neighbors, Jews and Palestinians, next-door neighbors, friends, uh, and and it was it was just uh, like you would, you would enjoy in any neighborhood in the world as far as just living next door to neighbors that maybe weren't uh, of the same nationality but you you hey we love one another and we care about one another and whatever you need I'm I'm your neighbor and whatever you need but this is one of those interesting pieces because. Um, there are there are a number of great Palestinian people who just want peace. They just want to live next door to their neighbor and just 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 live. I've had the privilege of knowing a number of those. On the other hand, uh, we have a number of people who have been basically bought uh, bought by uh, by uh, how they were treated or what they were supplied with, bought by brainwashing, bought by pay for slay, uh, any of those kinds of things that are Palestinian people that are very pro-Hamas. And as you mentioned, the people elected Hamas. So you have to factor that in when a watching world is condemning, you know, look what Hamas is doing to its own people, to its own people. Well, well that that's the thing when, when people say, oh, ceasefire now. There, there's two aspects of that that, are, to my mind, are very wrong. One Ceasefire now basically means leaving Hamas in place, which just means October 7th will happen again some point down the line. And short of that, we're going to have rockets coming in and all of that. Number two, for people who claim they care about the Palestinians, ceasefire now means leaving Hamas in place to continue to brutalize uh, their own citizens. Now, you know, some pe- this is something also you won't find on CNN, but um, Hamas throws gay people off of rooftops in Gaza. They've done that. Uh, they, uh, women's rights are, you know, there, there's no such thing. And women, uh, you know, minorities, the, uh, the Christian population of Gaza, which I think it's about 10% of Gaza, um, terribly discriminated against. And 
uh, the idea of ceasefire now means leaving Gazan, the Gazans, the Palestinians of Gaza, to that fate for forever. Uh, and that, to me, for if you if someone actually cares about the Palestinians, they should be saying there's got to be a better way. Exactly, exactly. And you know, this is one of the pieces that the world refuses to listen to. Uh, but this is the bottom line. I remember there was a, a wonderful uh, older lady who was released as she was a hostage and, and she got released. And she was from that community near Oz. And um, it was very interesting because what they shared in the news article about her is that she not only had come face to face with Sinwar but that she told him straight up how how wrong and sick that he was. And and the response was he just looked at her and said nothing. So the story behind that is that she's known him. uh, She's known him from back when they lived there in, 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 in Gaza. And she said to him, basically, you of all people know that we were one of the biggest promoters of peace. We were so supportive of the people of Gaza. We cared about them immensely. We tried to continue to do business, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and he didn't respond because he knew she, she was so accurate. She was so right. And he knew because of the previous relationship there that he, he had no grounds to say anything. But that was really the story behind it because that group, along with a variety of other those communities around Gaza, you know, their heart's desire was to be able to support and and, and Israel uh, provided where every day there was as many as 20, 25,000 people from Gaza coming into Israel who had great jobs and 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 good employers and uh, and and were making a living for themselves, even though it was heavily taxed, but when they went back to Gaza, but uh, Israel worked hard to try to supply those opportunities, and uh, and Hamas screwed it up. Yeah, I, I would say e- even more than that. Um, what there are, and this this has even happened during the war, uh, when there are children in Gaza who cannot get adequate medical help, they've brought them to Israel. You know, life saving uh, heart surgery and things like that. I think you know one 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 thing I, I think I want to just a point I really want to make also for as I've also heard people say you know can't Israel just quote unquote make peace and you know how do you make peace with someone who's sworn to their to your destruction uh, check things out at the teacher and the preacher dot com as I said earlier you it's a great place to donate and give towards Israel it's a place where you'll find the list of these organizations that you can give to you can click on it and just go right to their website and give there. But uh, we want you to do something, uh, and prayer is great, but sometimes there's, there's things that we can do beyond pray, and, and it may be a little bit more costly in a good way for us to do that. So I want to encourage our, our listeners to do that. Harold, it was uh, wonderful to have you with us for this conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate and love all that you do to contribute. And, uh, and and we're so grateful for you and your family, and we keep you in our prayers. And, you know, we always close the program by saying, may the God of Israel, who never slumbers and never sleeps, may he watch over Israel and all of our Jewish friends. And may that same God bless America. Amen.